Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Praise God. Let's go together to Amos chapter 3. Amos chapter 3. And I want to look at at just one verse here, hidden away in the Minor Prophets. Amos chapter 3, I want to look specifically at verse 3. It says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? And that's what we want. We want to walk together with God We want to walk His plan. We want to walk His path. We want to walk in line with what He has already designed and chosen for our life. And now we have the key to walking with God. Be in agreement with Him. To walk effectively with God, we're going to have to agree with Him. He's not going to change His perceptions to agree with us. He's not going to change His viewpoint to come into line with how we see it. And this is something that is going to require practice. It's going to require the renewing of the mind. It's going to require learning how to walk by faith. Whenever we see in Scripture the phrase walking, anything walking by faith, walking or or our path, it is talking about our daily life, our daily activities. And so this being in agreement with God is something that we have available to us through the Word of God. Because you're born again, the Word of God can be alive to you. The Word of God can be understood by you. I remember when I first got saved, I thought, King James, be thou thus. And, and so, you know, I've learned to, to use the King James just because as a minister, it is a more widely used, but I had to override the V valve and thus is because I wanted to understand God's thoughts and God doesn't speak in King James uh, English he'll speak to you in a way that you uh, understand but as we look in the scripture we want to know that the scripture can be understood by us it, it doesn't have to be something hard so when we we determine in our life to walk with God And we determine to adjust what needs to be adjusted so that we can be in agreement with Him. Then we will come to the Word to find that agreement. Isaiah 48, let's look at verse 17 and verse 18. Thus saith the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, which teaches you to profit, which leads you, by the way that you should go. God is introducing Himself. He is introducing Himself as the one who teaches us and the one who leads us. Glory to God. That means we have some things to learn. That means we've got some following to do. He's the teacher, we're the student. He's the leader, we're the follower. 
Hallelujah. He said, I will teach you. And when I teach you, it will profit your life. It will make your life better. I teach you to profit and I lead you by the way that you should go. There is a way. There is a specific path that God has for your life. Of course, the way that we should go uh, is a way that is avoiding sin. The way that we should go is a way that is not violating the commandments of God. But there are also specific things that God has designed for us, specific purposes and specific assignments for our life. And we won't find them without his leading. We won't just walk into them by, by chance and happen upon them and say, oh, look here, I found the will of God. No, the Bible, we found out in, in my last teaching on this subject that in order for us to identify the will of God, we need to have our minds renewed, Amen. right? Amen. And so that renewing of the mind is an ongoing process. It is taking the word of God and letting the word of God govern our thought processes so that our word, our mind becomes a word governed mind. That our mind is not governed by what's happening. In other words, the situation isn't determining what you're thinking about. You're not occupied with the situation because of the situation and what it's doing. That's what happened to Peter. Peter was walking on the water, y'all. He was, I mean, water walking faith was in, in process. He was, he was successfully walking on the water until he got occupied by something that had nothing to do with his ability to walk on the water. But that distraction, because the mind is a, an area that either the enemy wants to use it for distraction, but God wants to use it for focus. And faith works by focus. Faith works by focus. If we're not focusing on the right thing, it becomes a distraction like happened to Peter that, that hindered his faith. Remember Jesus said, he said, uh, O ye of little faith, and that little means short in duration. He had faith for a few moments. We don't know how long. We don't know how many steps he took towards Jesus. We don't know how far he walked on the water. But at one point, his duration of faith, it, his, it stopped in its flow and became short. And it cut off. Why? What cut off his faith? What shortened the length of his faith? His distraction, what he was looking at. So do you see the importance of disciplining the mind to stay focused on the promise? Disciplining the mind to, uh, to uh, uh, refuse the wrong thoughts yes. and to maintain the right thoughts? Isaiah 26, don't you love Isaiah 26? I love Isaiah 26 verse 3. It says, he keepeth me in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him stayed on him oh we've got an objective then we've got we've got that's our that's our goal right there i want to keep my mind stayed keep my mind i'm going to keep my mind stayed on the lord gonna keep my mind stayed on the lord Gonna keep my mind stay on the Lord. He's my meditation night and day. I did not make that up. Yeah. 
The Holy Spirit gave that to Keith Moore, and that's on, on one of his albums. But keeping my mind stayed on the Lord. Keeping my mind stayed. That's our discipline. That's disciplining the mind. I want my mind to be a word-ruled mind. I don't want my mind to be a situation-ruled mind. And I have been in that place before where the things that were going on around me had the ability to pull my thoughts over and have them thinking. I mean, it would be like a little hamster in the wheel running over here with that thought, me trying to figure out how to fix it. And I never had any any movement towards change in that area just pulling it into my mind and trying to fix it with the, with the mind. But when I, when I learned how to discipline, when I learned how to cast down that imagination and get my focus over on the answer, get my focus on the Word of God, that's when I found how to move the situation. So the situation that you may be dealing with today requires a spiritual momentum, not a mental momentum, a spiritual momentum, and I've got to recognize how to discipline my mind to keep my mind spiritual. And that means governed by my spirit, my born-again spirit, where the spirit of God lives. He lives in my spirit. And so I think I'm in, in charge of what I think. I am not obligated to think just anything that comes along and pops itself into my mind. And says, well, you've got to think about this. No, I don't have to meditate on it. I might have to deal with it. I might have to answer it. I might have to confront it. Faith does not negate problems. Faith does not say, you know, God did not say, it's not dark out here. It's not dark out here. It's not dark out here in Genesis chapter 1. God came and he spoke, it is light. Light be. And so we don't negate problems. So faith is not just ignoring it. Faith doesn't ignore it, but I don't have to meditate on it with my mind because my mental energy is not the answer to a spiritual problem. And that's why I've got to have my mind cooperating with my spirit. Pastor Nancy Dufresne gave one of the greatest definitions of the renewing of the mind. She said the renewing of the mind is bringing the mind into agreement with all of God's definitions. Don't you love that? Bringing the mind so that my mind has the same definition that God's mind has. So God doesn't have to stop and define everything to me. And so, well, this is what I mean by that. Oh, I know what you mean. I've renewed my mind to that. When he says it, then I can automatically see what he's saying. And so the renewing of the mind is, is a part of walking together with God. It's a part of being in agreement. And he said he would teach us. He said he would lead us in this way. He said he would teach us how to renew the mind. He said he would teach us how to walk by faith. He said he would teach us the way and lead us by the way that we should go. So this is what we are endeavoring to do. We're endeavoring to put ourselves in agreement with God. And so this needs to become an awareness that we have. An awareness of when I, when I come to a resolution... When I come to a decision in my life, when I come to a perception, I need to pull it up and say, does that agree with God? Is that how God sees it? 
Is this resolution, this thing I'm determined to do, is that in agreement with God? Hallelujah. Does God see it that way? And even bring him into the conversation. Lord, is this the way you see it? You know, I, I appreciate uh, Lynn Hammond. Back in the early years when Brother Hagen was doing a, uh, a all-faith crusade or Holy Ghost meetings at their church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, she said during the day he would teach on prayer and then he would pray. And she said, I got over close to where Brother Hagen was. And she said, I was, I was listening. I was watching and praying. You know, she said, I wanted to find out how does Brother Hagen pray? What does Brother Hagen say when he's praying to God? And she said, I learned so much from listening to him pray because he was having a conversation with God. And she said, I heard him ask the Lord, Lord, I plan to have a meeting in September in, in Boston. But if, if you want to change that plan, I'm open for, to change it. He was bringing up to God his plans and saying, but I'm open if you want, to me, if you want me to do something different. Amen. And Sister Pat Harrison, she said, uh, because I, uh, Pastor Nancy Dufresne asked her a question. She said, is there anything that your father did consistently that, that marked you that, you, that you recall, that really made an imp impression upon you? And Sister Pat Harrison said every year he would pull out his entire calendar before God and, and lift it up and pray over everything he was doing. And if you ever read his book on plans, purposes, and pursuits, and I, I think it may even uh, be in I Believe in Visions a little bit, he, he talks about that time that he uh, was praying and the Holy Spirit moved him into a place in prayer and then he was doing something with his fingers where he was making a big circle and then he was doing a smaller circle and then he made a, a little circle and then the Holy Spirit showed him, gave him an understanding of what he was praying. He said, you've been going to all these same churches every year, fishing out of the same bathtub all, all throughout the year just on a routine of visiting these churches, he said, break out of that circle. And he gave him the specific things to do. He said, I want you to go out of these regular churches and I want you to go into places that are, this was when he gave him the instruction for the All Faiths Crusades, he go into places that are open for any different kinds of churches to come. And so he, he started going into conference centers and meeting halls and, and being able to have the meetings there. And people from other churches in the communities would come. And he said, I want you to teach during the day and I want you to preach in a certain direction at night. And he said, when, uh, when you do the day sessions, take all of those teachings and make them into books. And the books we have of Brother Hagin's were from those services. They were sermons that he preached under the unction of the Holy Spirit, taught in the office of the teacher. And we have those books today and the clarity that was brought through all of those teachings into the body of Christ. But notice how that came by a specific leading, a specific instruction of the Holy Ghost. 
the Holy Spirit said to him, this is specifically what you do. You break out of this. So he, and they went on radio. That was the other thing. Go on radio. Go on radio. Come out of those churches and have the meetings in, in uh, neutral places and to take those day sessions and turn them into books. And it shifted the course of his ministry. Because God will teach us to profit. But it was something that broke out of the normal because before that time, and I think that is what he points back to, that from that time, he never got set in a way of doing things. He never got, got rutted in, I have to do it this way. I have to, he, he would go to God and say, this is my plan, but I'm open for change. If you want me to do something different. And when there came a certain point, I mean, you think about how God led him in ministry. He, he was a preacher, and God told him to start teaching, and he told the Lord it wouldn't work. He said, Lord, people don't listen to teachers. You know, he left pastoring to go on the road, so he thought, if I'm not a pastor, I've got to be evangelist because that's the only thing there is. He didn't know anything about operating in the office of the prophet at that time. Uh, he didn't understand the office of the teacher. But God told him to start teaching and he told the Lord, Lord, I'm going to prove to you it won't work. I'm going to prove to you it won't work. And he said they were going to have some day meetings. He goes, I'm going to go into those morning meetings and I'm just going to teach and I'm going to prove to you it won't work. He said those morning meetings became more attended, better attended. He said we started maxing out the place that we were in with those morning meetings because the word started spreading and people started coming and, and the Lord told him, <laughs> didn't he? The Lord told him. But he, he was in that rut of thinking there's only one thing I can do and that's, that's you know, preach like a wild man. And, and you know, he was, he was in that rut. When God moved him over into the office of the teacher, we, we are still benefiting from all that the Holy Spirit was able to release into the body of Christ through that office. Amen. 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 And then he began to deal with him about different ways of ministering healing. You know, when he first started ministering healing, he, he was ministering. Uh, he, well, he, when he first he got, he was healed as a young boy. And so he was in the Baptist church preaching on healing and they were allowing it till he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they asked him to leave the Baptist church because they didn't agree with him speaking in tongues. And so he said before then, all he ever knew about ministering healing was just to preach on healing and then just according to Mark 16 to lay hands on the sick. Well, when the Lord ministered healing, anointing to him, he taught him a specific way to pray. He said, this, you're, you're not praying the prayer of faith, you're ministering the healing anointing. And so you tell people, about how I have placed this anointing in you, which is what Jesus did. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And those who believed in the anointing received, the anointing on Jesus received. And so Jesus told Brother Hagan, you tell people how I have appeared to you and I have placed my, the, my fingers in the palms of your hands and placed this healing anointing in your hands. And so he would do that. And then uh, he... He, he, he grew in, uh, in learning as he, as he walked in different 
stages of the anointing, as he walked in different offices, as he walked in different stages of development, he grew. Because in that beginning, the Lord said, whenever you're dealing with, a, with an evil spirit that has caused that sickness to be in somebody's body, the anointing is going to jump from your right hand to the left. So when he would pray for people, he would put his hand on each side of their body. And if, the, if, if he felt the heat or the anointing flow between his hands, he knew to, to cast out, uh, to, to command that demon to uh, cease and desist in the name of Jesus. He wasn't casting demons out of born-again people. He was commanding the demon that had attached that disease to their body. He was taking authority over it. Amen. But in, that was in the beginning. It was by that, that him sensing in his hands. But as he developed, he came to the place where the Lord said, I'm not going to deal with you with that way anymore. I'm going to operate through the discerning of spirits. And so after that, he said, when you're in the spirit, by discerning of spirits, which is a gift of the spirit from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, by that operation of that gift, you'll know instead of that anointing jumping from your hand. Amen. What if he had not known how to follow? You see, God says, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to lead you. Hallelujah. And so if he would have been running and said, no, 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 it's got to be this way. It's got to be this way. It's got to be the, the power of God jumping from my hands. It would have stopped his progression in that area. God's plan for us is progression, moving us forward, constantly progressing. Hallelujah. And how he's going to teach us and he's going to lead us. So we've got to be in agreement with God. We've got to learn how to agree with God. Uh, let's go to James chapter 1, and let's look at verses uh, 5 through 8. Faith unites us with the Word. We see that from our example with Peter, that faith united him with the Word. Another example that I like to use is Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham was telling God... I don't have seed. What are you going to give me seeing I go childless? You remember Genesis 15, this conversation, and God said, what? What? Childless? Childless? Did you just call yourself childless? I didn't say you did. I say you were childless. I did not say you were childless. I said that I was going to make your name great, and through you all of the nations of the earth were going to be be blessed. I didn't call you childless. Why are you calling yourself childless? And so God had to get Abraham into agreement with him. And so he gave him something to build an image in his spirit. He, he took him out and he said, tell the stars, this is how many my seed will be. So shall my seed be. And it says that Abraham against hope believed in hope according to what was spoken, so shall my seed be, so shall my seed be. He had to build this image. And then in chapter 17, God changed his name 
to father of many nations. So not only does he now have an inner image, but he's also voicing his agreement with God. God said, I am Abraham. God said, I am the father of many nations. God said, so he's putting this which God has named him in his mouth. And so we recognize that faith unites us to the word of God. Faith unites us to the will of God. Faith is our connecting point. And we've got to believe it in the heart and confess it with our mouth for faith to be complete. Faith that's in the heart is not complete in its action because the spirit of faith believes and speaks. We having the same spirit of faith, we believe and we speak. So until it has reached a fullness in the heart and is now filling the mouth with what we're full of, an abundance developed in the heart, now putting it, coming into our mouth, we're not having to force it into our mouth. Now you may have to force it into your mouth in the beginning, but that's not the fullness. That's not the fullness of faith. You, You may have to put it in your mouth and your head be saying, I don't believe I'm the head and not the tail. Why am I saying I'm the head and not the tail? I'm above and not beneath. I'm always going over and never going under. My head tells me I'm a, I, need, I need groceries and, and I'm a, on a quarter of the tank and a head and not the tail. Put it in your mouth anyway. This is, this is how you get to the level of fullness. You take your tongue and you write it upon the table of your heart. You deposit it, deposit it, deposit it, deposit it. But when it gets full... You won't have to force it into your mouth. When, you, when it gets full, you'll just find it in your mouth. You'll open up your mouth and, whoa, it'll come out of your mouth and you'll say, did I say that? Did I say that? Right? And that faith will come out and you'll be like, I just said I'm the head, not the tail. And I believe it. Amen? I believe I believe God. I believe God. Hallelujah. So we recognize that faith is a a connector. It unites us. But as we are building our faith, we need to be aware of and on guard against unbelief because unbelief separates us from the Word of God. Unbelief is a separator. Faith is a connector. Faith is is, is a uniting it's, the, it's a glue that, that connects us to the promise, but unbelief is like the pair of scissors that separates us from the Word of God. And it's such a serious thing. Unbelief is such a serious thing because it's a breaking down of covenant. Unbelief stops the progress into what God has provided for us. And so we've got to be on guard against it And we've got to recognize it so that we can resist it. And that's why we're going to talk about it for a few moments. Here in James chapter 1 verse 5, he says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, nothing wavering. This word waver is a word that means to separate. To separate thoroughly is how the Strong's Concordance uh, uh, defines it. To separate thoroughly. So it's like a clean cut. 
When, when, when you are, when, not you, because you're a faith builder. When those other people, when people waver where something that God has said, something that God has established in His Word, if a person wavers, it doesn't change the Word. It just disconnects them from it. It cuts them off from its working in their life. Our faith is what unites us for that word to have its operation in us. To separate thoroughly, it also means to withdraw from. To withdraw from. To withdraw like a person saying, I don't want to be around that. Well, if, if it is unbelief, if it's wavering, what, that is, what happened was when Peter... Peter withdrew from the word walk. The power that was giving him the ability to walk on water, he withdrew from it. God never took back the power for him to walk. God didn't stop the flow of the power. The power was still on. He just unplugged from it. It's like the, if we unplugged an instrument or took a light bulb out of the light fixture... The light is still available. The power is still there to power that bulb. The power is still there to work that instrument. But if we unplug it, then we've withdrawn from the power. And that's what unbelief, he says, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Is that possible? You mean I can get to a place where no thing is wavering in my life? It's in the scripture I can do it. Because God put it there, the power to do it is right there. I can put this in my heart and say, Father, I ask in faith with nothing wavering. And I can determine to come to the place, even if I have experienced moments of wavering before, that doesn't mean that I am not capable of living a a without wavering life. I just need to work on it. I just need to gain that discipline. I just need to get that agreement established so that I can operate my faith with no thing wavering. Because the scripture says it is possible for me to ask without wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea. What is it specifically about the wave of the sea? They are moved by the wind. Driven with the wind. So that person's thoughts, that person's decisions, that person's behavior is not being driven by the Word or motivated by the Word or supplied by the Word, but the actions and the thoughts and the activity are being motivated by the wind, the circumstance, the situation. Do you see how that goes back to what I said earlier? We can't let the, the situation be dictating what we're thinking about. Amen. It is possible to keep my mind stayed on the Word. It is possible. And if I keep my mind stayed, He is able to keep me in perfect peace. But if I don't keep my mind stayed, I'm back here at the mind again. If I don't keep my mind stayed, then I put God at a disadvantage of what He's able to legally accomplish for me. Philippians chapter 4 makes it clear to us. Philippians chapter 4 gives us two specific 
boundaries. And these boundaries will not always feel good to your flesh. Can I tell you that every one of us, we have flesh. But we don't have to let our flesh have us. We don't have to fight with our flesh, just crucify it. Don't have to struggle with it all the time. If you don't feed it, it's not that big of a, 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 a comp- an opponent. It's when, it's when people feed their flesh and give it lots of, of nutrition, fleshly nutrition, you know, letting it have its own way and bad hair days and blue Mondays and hump Wednesdays and all those, you know, making excuses for, for you know, uh, the yoga pants and, you know, uh, uh, hey, the flesh, we all have it, but... It doesn't have to have us. But the flesh loves to worry. Your spirit does not like to worry. Okay, so there's there's your dividing line. If we're worrying, it's not my spirit. You see me? I'm not looking at anybody. If we are worrying, if we are worrying, we know it's not my born again spirit supplied with faith by the Holy Spirit and the Word. It's not, it's not the spiritual part of me that is conducting that thought of worry. So verse 6 of Philippians chapter 4 says, Be careful for nothing. Amplified, please, on, on verse 6. Give me the amplified. Just in case you think you might get a little bit of wiggle room with the amplified. That the Amplified is going to help you here. Be careful for nothing. Do not fret. Do not fret or have any anxiety about most things. Anything. Anything. Is that possible? To not allow any anxiety about anything. So if anxiety comes, it's trespassing. If anxiety comes... God has not given you the spirit of fear. God hasn't brought anxiety to your doorstep. Who brought anxiety and why? Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. That answers both of those questions. Who brought it and why? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does he use? He attacks with the thoughts. He cannot get in your spirit. There's no duplex in your heart. You are wall to wall filled with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God. There's no, there's the, 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 if the enemy attacks, he can't get in you to attack. How's he got to attack? Listen, if something's beating on your head and you have, I mean, you get up in the morning and that thought is pounding against your head and you go to bed at night and that thought is pounding against your head, go ahead and rejoice because that means it's not in the house if it's knocking on the door. Not in my house if it's knocking on the door. Hallelujah. Just go ahead and knock. I'm not answering. I don't have to answer the door. Come on, you get a ring doorbell, you can just look on your phone and say, I'm not answering that. I'm not answering that. You just know that's the enemy bringing anxiety. I'm not answering that. Hallelujah. I'm not opening the door to it. I'm not going to open the door to it. 
Now, if I, let me change this. I'm not going to open the door, but I might answer it. I'm, I might put the word of God in my mouth and say, no, no. Just like Jesus, it is written. It is written. But I'm not going to open the door to it and bring it in my thoughts and allow it to get in my thought processes. You know, Eve, Eve had access to all the knowledge of God. She could have asked God anything and understood God's answer. But when she accepted the thoughts of the enemy and pulled them up into her mind and allowed them to process through her thinking, it warped her thinking. And she saw a tree that was, and said it was good for food, and it wasn't. It was a tree that was poisonous to her. It was a tree that carried the knowledge of evil, and God did not ever want her to have to taste evil. He, he would have taught her what she needed to know without her. You know, I could teach my children how to never have to experience what it feels like to have a hangover. They don't have to experience a hangover to decide they don't want one. If they just listen to me, I will help them. I will help them never have to know what that feels like. God wanted to teach us so that we never had to taste evil. But she allowed the thoughts. You know, it doesn't even say that the, the devil was, was threatening. He didn't put a gun to Adam's head. He didn't put a knife to Eve's throat and say, eat the fruit of that tree. <laughs> he was having a conversation and she was en engaging him in conversation. She was allowing, there was no resistance to any thought he, par, he, he proposed to her. He brought the thought and she readily pulled it into the thought process, worked it through her thought process until it changed her thought process. And she saw the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a tree that would ruin her life. She saw it as good. She says, it's pleasant to the sight. A tree to be desired to make one wise. It's good for food. All of those things were lies. All of those things were wrong. What made her see it that way? Wrong thoughts. Eve had her mind renewed in the wrong direction. She had the ability to process the thoughts of God until she started processing the thoughts of Satan. We, we had a bus ministry at the Kansas location. And the bus driver, after he had taken the children and dropped them all off back in their neighborhood, he went to, we always fueled up the buses so that the next Sunday morning they would already be full. He pulled up to the gas station. And instead of putting gasoline in there, he put diesel in the gasoline engine. And that was the last time that bus ran. Right? 
because that gasoline engine was not designed to process diesel fuel. And you are not designed for worry. You're not designed for it. It will warp, worry, warps. Do you know that science, science has proven that people can have high blood pressure because of worry. Science has proven that people can get uh, ulcers. Ulcers? You mean to tell me a thought can do something in my body that is so destructive that it causes sickness in my body? Eating away that a thought, something that starts. So is, is there any thought, any worry thought that's harmless? It says that worry, science has proven that worry, stress, anxiety can cause physical destruction in your body. God knew that. <laughs> that's why he said nothing, 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 nothing. You don't be anxious about anything. Is that possible? Not only is it possible for you to never waver, for you to gain such a proficiency in your walk with God that you do not waver from His truth, but it is possible for you in, in hearing whatever report to refuse to respond with anxiety, to refuse to allow anxiety or worry in any shape, any level. Because you know there's, there's low-level worry, and then there's full-out hysteria, right? But one is just as detrimental as the other. So it is possible for us to gain such a life of discipline in spiritual things. If I am led by the Spirit, if I am developing in the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, kindness, faith, if I am allowing these these equippings of the Spirit of God to have my attention and to have my uh, participation every day, then it is possible for us to gain such a place that when anxiety comes, we don't open the door to let it in. Be careful for nothing. Do not fret or have anxiety about anything. So God didn't tell you just to bare knuckle through it. He didn't tell you just to bare knuckle through it. He said there is something you can do. There is something you can do. Worrying won't do anything. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, worrying, he said, uh, don't take the thought by saying. He said those thoughts of worry aren't going to make you any taller. They're not going to change the situation. The thoughts of worry, how do you take them? He said don't take them by saying. So surely don't let any worry get in your mouth. But he says here, there is something I can do. I don't have to just say, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to fret. I'm not going to fret. I'm not going to have anxiety. I'm not going to have anxiety. I'm not going to have anxiety. I'm just going to have to ignore it. No, he didn't say ignore it. He said, deal with it from your place in Christ. Where are you? Where are you? Under the situation? No, I don't think you're under the situation. I think I, think I saw you seated next to Christ. Sitting right there next to God in Christ. Are you seated there? In Christ, Amen. next to God. I saw you there too. 
I saw you there too. You're seated right there next to, next to God at the right hand of God in Christ. And you, I saw you there. That's where we are. So that's where we operate from. So be anxious for nothing. Don't fret about anything. But in everything, exercise your authority from your position in God. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, because many people don't have confidence in their praying, they think prayer is a last resort or prayer is a sub, subpar uh, response to the situation. Oh, it, it, we're going to have to pray about it. As if, pray about it. Pray about it. But when we have confidence in our prayer, like 1 John talks about, this is the confidence that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and we know if He hears us, we have. We know if He hears us, we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. So if we don't have that confidence, we might look at this and say, you mean I can't worry? And I got to pray about it? No, it's, here's how you say it. I will not worry. I'm going to pray. Amen. And when I pray, I know things are going to happen because I'm going to talk to God about it. Yes. You know, in my years as pastoring, I've encountered times that I, I would see someone and, and they would, I, I would notice that they are going to, you know, different people in the church and, and you can overhear, you know, and them explaining the situation that they're going to. And about four or five people later, they come to me with the same story and they're, they're repeating. And I, I know they have rehearsed this prayer request in the way of a story five times already just in, in the sanctuary as I've been sitting here. And they'll go to this one and say, I want you to pray with me because, and then they'll go through the whole detail and the whole specifics and the, oh, it's so bad and it's so bad, but y'all pray with me. It's so bad, it's so bad, it's so bad, it's so bad, but y'all pray with me. And do you know what I recognize? Is they haven't really taken that to the Lord and settled it. Because when I settle it, I don't have to go around and get a whole lot of other people on board. I, I, why? I, I already did that. Brother Hagen, he, he, uh, he had to go to church and Sister Aretha, she wasn't feeling well that day and so she stayed home and, and was sick. He prayed for her before he left. He prayed for her and she, when he got home from church that night, she said, did you tell all the people where I was? He said, no. She said, well, did, did you tell them to pray for me? He said, no, I already prayed for you. Why would I need to go tell all them to pray for you if I already prayed for you? I believe we received it when I prayed, right? And so this is an area that we've got to recognize. God didn't tell us that we can't uh, uh, acknowledge the problem or that we can't confront the problem. He said, don't use worry to confront it. Don't use anxiety to confront it. Use prayer to confront it. Because prayer is where you're going to get the answer. Go to God about it and you and God figure out what needs to happen and settle it, and then why would I worry if God and I have already talked about it? Amen? And then he said there's another step. Here's the second boundary. That was the first boundary. 
that we set that boundary, I will not be anxious. And everything that tries to move me over into anxiety, I'm going to deal with it in prayer. Here's our second boundary. Verse 7, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God is not only operating to protect the heart, but there needs to be the peace of God protecting the mind. And it's a peace that is, it doesn't comprehend to the natural mind how I can be at peace while this is going on around me. How I can be at peace while I'm dealing with the situation. Because being anxious isn't going to help me. So why bother being anxious? It's just going to detriment the situation. It's just going to deter the, the work of God. But the peace allows for God to move in that situation. So if I'll maintain the peace, the peace of God, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. Do. And the God of peace shall be with you. So now we have an a, a instruction of what is permissible in the thought life. Especially if there have been things coming to you trying to move you over into anxiety, into worry, trying to build stress in your life, you recognize I need to take this list and establish it as the parameters of my thought processes. I do not allow my mind to think anything it wants to think. I do not allow just any thought unsupervised in my mind. You know, in, in a school, especially nowadays, if you come on that school campus, you have to go to the office first, and you have to get a pass. You have to have permission to be in the hallway of that school. Pastor Marie Price is a kindergarten teacher there in Clarksville, Arkansas, and I went to visit her on my way through one time. I think it might have been last year, and I stopped by her class, and the first thing I had to do was go in and, and show my identification and get a, a pass, and, and then they let her know that I was coming, and she came up and met me because they don't allow unsupervised people just wandering the hallways. Even the children can't be out wandering the hallways. They have to have permission to be in the hallway. Amen. Well, there, there needs to be a governing of our minds so that we know, wait, wait, where did that thought come from and why is it walking up and down in my head? Why, where did that thought come from that I wasn't going to be able to get that breakthrough in that situation? I did, that didn't originate with me. Where did it come from? So you need to have a monitor. You need to have people who are governing. You need to have your mind. It needs to have a discipline established. When you first start renewing the mind, it may seem like you are just dealing with every thought. But if you'll gain 
that place where you have cast down the wrong imaginations, the moment a wrong one comes, it's going to be red lights. Sirens going off. Hey, 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 that's not my thought. You're not just dealing with a bunch of wrong thoughts in your mind, a bunch of worry thoughts or a bunch of fear thoughts. Why? Because you've been governing those thoughts. You've been maintaining and, and renewing the mind, keeping your mind state. And then when a wrong thought comes, it should set off all kinds of alarms in, in your thinking. Wait, wait, wait. Take that captive. Take that thought captive. I'm not going to let it because what happened to Eve was she let it continue. Jesus is our example and he never let anything that Satan brought to him have any operation in his head Jesus never let any of it stay un, un, undealt with unconfronted when the thought came against him he opened up this and his mouth and he pulled the sword of the spirit Amen. and and you cannot deal with the thought using a thought for you to conquer a thought, you're going to have to use spoken words. You're going to have to use the example that Jesus has established. It is written. This is how we conquer wrong thoughts. And God said that the, the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, if you're dressed in the armor of God, you can stand against any attack that the enemy brings. Amen? So the thoughts, the thoughts do not have any permission to have activity. Don't let a thought be unsupervised in your mind. If it, if it, pull it in. If it doesn't agree, take it captive. I'm not thinking that. Cast it down and you're going to have to open your mouth to do it. You're gonna, and if somebody thinks you're talking to yourself, I'm not saying you have to scream it out loud in the, in the elevator or in the hallway. But you can just open your mouth and say, I'm not thinking that. In Jesus' name, I'm the head and not the tail. In Jesus' name, by his stripes I am healed. In Jesus' name, I will not fear what man shall do to me. Amen? Open up your mouth and speak it, even if it's at a whisper, because there are thoughts that, that have to be resisted, and the only way to resist a thought is with your words. Hallelujah. You cannot use thoughts to defeat thoughts. You have to use words to defeat the thoughts that the enemy brings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think I need to unplug right here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for how you help us. Thank you for utterances by your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for light upon our path. Lord, we want to agree with you. And we want to walk in the way that, you, that we should go, the way you have chosen, the path that you have designed for us. Father, we submit our thinking to you today. And we thank you that you have made available to us the mind of Christ, the mind of the anointed one with his anointing. We can think like Jesus thinks because we have his word. The word will renew our mind and insert your thoughts into our thought patterns. Every fear of rejection be broken in Jesus' name. 
every stronghold of fear, every stronghold of anxiety. We tear you down in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The word Christ is referring to the anointing and the anointed one. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. When it says we have the mind of Christ, it's referring to Jesus way of thinking but it's also referring to that anointing that breaks every yoke and removes every burden hallelujah hallelujah the word is anointed the name is anointed hallelujah Jesus when we take his word into our minds our minds are receiving that anointing. Our minds are receiving that light, the light of God to see clearly, to see clearly. Hallelujah. The Bible says that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We are not lacking knowledge of how he operates and what his plan is. And because we're not lacking knowledge, we can successfully resist every attack of the enemy. Hallelujah. He's a mind blinder, but you never have to have your mind blinded. His mind blinding won't work against light. We are children of the light. We walk in the light. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just lift your hands and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the light, Lord. Thank you for the light. Thank you for the anointing upon our minds. Thank you for the anointing that helps us make the right adjustments in our lives. Hallelujah.